going to be looking at 1 Corinthians uh, this morning. We finished up Romans, and now we're moving to 1 Corinthians. However, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 18. I swerved on you a little bit right there. So. Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read some passages uh, there in just a moment. But today we're going to give an introduction of 1 Corinthians. So in your book, we'll be looking at uh, the orienting data, the overview, and the advice for reading 1 Corinthians. Next week, we'll get into uh, half of the letter. I don't, I, I'm not going to make any promises how far we'll go next week because uh, there's a lot in this book to, to digest. But um, as you do see, and on your book, we're on page 61 uh, in our book, and we're going to look first at the who, what, the when, where, and the why of 1 Corinthians. As we see here, we see the content of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter of correction. Uh, it's a letter of instruction, but it's also and more a letter of correction to the people that are in the church here in Corinth. Um, Paul stands over against the Corinthians on many issues that are taken up in the book of 1 Corinthians. Most of these are behavioral issues. It has to do with how the Corinthians are living, the things that they are involved in, how they go about uh, in their everyday life, and how they deal with the disruptions among the church body. So this letter of 1 Corinthians is more practical than it is theological. When we looked at the book of Romans, the last several chapters of the book of Romans were very practical about how to get along, how to, you know, if you eat differently than somebody else, how, how to get along. This book is mostly practical. Uh, Paul re really gets into the theological issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he talks about uh, the resurrection and the gospel. He, he gets very theological there, but most of the book, unlike Romans that deals with very theological issues of justification, uh, this deals with more practicality in the book of 1 Corinthians. Of course, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Corinthians. Uh, this was, even though this is called 1 Corinthians in our Bible, we'll see this is not the first letter that Paul wrote to them. There was an earlier letter that Paul wrote to them, which we do not have today. But we do have this book, which we call 1 Corinthians. Uh, it was written around 53 to 54 AD. Paul was in Ephesus. Uh, when he wrote this. Interestingly enough, when we studied Romans, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote Romans, and now he's in Ephesus when he's writing 1 Corinthians. And the recipients are the church at Corinth, composed mostly of Gentiles. It's mostly a Gentile church in a Gentile world, and we'll look at, at uh, a map in just a moment of exactly where Corinth is on the map. Uh, there, there is some elements of Judaism in dealing with Jewish issues sprinkled in throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, but mostly it is read as a uh, letter to a predominantly Gentile church. Uh, when we look here at the occasion, remember when we look at letters, we want to find out what prompted Paul to write this letter. Again, he wasn't just writing, here's how you do church 101. He wasn't just writing theology 101. He was dealing with everyday life. So as I mentioned, Paul had previously written a letter uh, to the church at Corinth. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, it says, I wrote to you in my letter 
not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he says, I have wrote to you in my letter, a previous letter that Paul had written unto them. Also, we see that the church responded to Paul, and the church actually wrote Paul a letter. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, where we see, he says, Now for the matters that you wrote about. So obviously this church had responded to Paul, and they had written to Paul about specific matters. And we'll see those matters laid out in just a few moments. So why Paul wrote this letter is twofold. He wrote it to respond to a letter that they had written him, and he responds to the issues, that the questions, obviously, that they had raised. And he also writes this letter because he had been hearing some things about the church at Corinth. And he had been hearing some things about the church at Corinth that were not very good. Uh, some things that they were involved in, some relationships that they were involved in, some, some divisions in the church that were happening. And Paul was very concerned about the things that he had heard. So the first part of the book of 1 Corinthians, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, deals with the issues of what Paul had been hearing about what had been going on in the church at Corinth. The last part, or from really from chapter 7 on to chapter 14, is dealing with the letter that they had wrote to him and some of the issues that he was addressing in response to their letter. So that's what prompted Paul to write this letter because of what he had been hearing and responding to a letter containing certain issues that they had wrote to him. Uh, the emphasis in this book uh, is a crucified Messiah is the central message of the gospel. He goes back to the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 when he builds that theological foundation. So the crucified Messiah is the central message of the gospel, and the cross of Christ is God's wisdom. He spent some time in the first part of the book writing about God's wisdom. Uh, Christian behavior that conforms to the gospel is a major issue in that. He's trying to get them to live the life that they now claim they have by faith in Jesus Christ. And then the true nature of life in the Spirit and what it is to worship together as the people of God when he deals with the issues of spiritual gifts uh, when he deals with the issue of, of love one another and how he deals with the issues of what takes place in corporate worship. So all these little emphasis that he makes in the book. So the emphasis are two purposes. Number one, to call them back to the gospel and to call them back to Paul's own apostleship because there were people that were divided over who they were going to follow. Were they going to follow Paul? Were they going to follow Peter? Who were they going to follow? So there was a big division about who they were going to follow in the church. So it was to call them back to the gospel and to Paul's apostleship because Paul was the founding uh, apostle of the church. And then in number two, to align their behavior to their new identity in Christ. To align their behavior to the new identity in Christ. Well, first of all, let's take a look at on this map. If you see on the map here, um, down to the right-hand bottom side, you'll see the word Jerusalem and Gaza, uh, and that's Israel down that way. Uh, when you go up from there, we see uh, Syria, we see Antioch, uh, Saul, who was Saul of Tarsus, we see Tarsus there. Then you notice in kind of the middle top, you have some of these Colossae. We're 
you know, familiar with that with the Colossians and Laodicea, uh, Philadelphia, Sardis. Those are some of the letters that the book of Revelation was written to uh, up there in Asia Minor. Then if you continue going over to the top left, you will see Athens and you will see Corinth. And that little strip of land right in the middle uh, of kind of those two land masses is right where Corinth was on one side and Athens was on the other side. And in a few moments, we're going to go back and talk about what, how that city was made up. But we want to get some idea of how far away from Jerusalem where we are, because the gospel started in, in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And through Paul and his missionary journeys, it was spread. It was spread. The gospel was spread. The message of Jesus was spread all over the world. And now we have gotten here to Corinth. So let's look in Acts chapter 18, and we'll go ahead and look here in Acts chapter 18 on how the church in Corinth was founded. So Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse number 1. After this, Paul left Athens. So you see on the map, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your hands. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So as you see, Paul did not have much luck in converting the Jewish people in the synagogues. However, there were some uh, as came to faith. Verse number 7 says, Then Paul left the synagogue. And went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city." So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And that's how this church at Corinth was birthed. It was birthed out of Paul was in Athens, and he decided to come down to Corinth. He met a, a Jewish person there and proceeded to go into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and try to persuade them about Jesus. And when they rejected him, uh, then he went to the Gentiles and began to preach. And many of the Gentiles believed and were baptized. You know, and then, and then God confirms in a vision to Paul when he says, I have many in this city and many were saved and baptized and the church in Corinth was birthed here in Acts chapter 18. So that gives a little bit of the history of the church and that's why we see primarily this, church, uh, this letter is Jewish in nature, deals with a lot of the culture that was happening in Athens at the time, uh, but yet sprinkled among it, were some issues concerning the Jews and, and Judaism and Christianity as well. 
So that's the birth of the church there. Now let's look at kind of an overview. So the who, it was written by Paul to the church in Corinthians, in, in Corinth, made up of mostly Gentiles with some Jews. He wrote it because they had written him a letter and he's responding. And he had also heard about some things that were going on uh, that was not right. And he wrote that to persuade them to behave the way that they say they believe and to call them back uh, and to defend his apostleship. So the next section in our book is kind of an overview of Corinthians. And while you can read the overview there, um, I have on the screen uh, really this laid out in a more outline type of format. So the book of Corinthians deals with no less than 11 issues. I mean, and you could pick out probably some more issues. So what we're dealing with chapter after chapter we are dealing with one issue after another that Paul is addressing. Issues, again, that he had heard about and issues that they had written to him about. So the first six chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that this, these are about the matters that have been reported to Paul. The matters that have been reported to Paul. The first thing that they deal with in the first four chapters is the divisions within the community. As I already mentioned, the church was divided among its leadership. Some followed Paul, some followed uh, Peter, some followed others. And uh, so there was a, a division about who was the leader and who were they supposed to follow. Uh, there was many other types of divisions that we'll look into next week when we get into the text of 1 Corinthians. Then there's the challenge of Paul's apostleship uh, and his very own calling and trying to discredit Paul as an apostle. So the first four chapters deal with these divisions that were in the church. Uh, chapter 5, we see a case of incest that is in the church and a very uh, relationship that should not have any dealing in the church. Uh, and Paul deals with that in chapter 5. Uh, chapter 6, the first part of chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, uh, Paul deals with the issue of litigation. You had believers uh, that were suing one another in state courts that could have handled their matters better as children of God. Uh, and then in ch uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 12 through 20, uh, again, we have issues on sexual immorality that Paul had heard about that was going on. So these first six chapters deal with things that he had heard about that was going on in the church that he needs to address as an apostle, as the one who was set over the church. Uh, the next chapters we see, this is Paul's response to the Corinthians letter to him. As they had written, he is responding to some of these issues. And it's, you know, we look at these and kind of put together that each one of these issues were things that, he, that they had wrote about, and now he's responding. So in chapter 6, we, or chapter 7, we have the letter, uh, the response of sex and marriage. Um, in chapters 8 through 10, we have the food sacrificed to idols. In chapter 11, verse 1 through 16, we have the issue of head coverings. In chapter 11, 17 through 34, we have the abuse at the Lord's table uh, and the meal that accompanied the Lord's table. There was abuses there, so Paul's correcting the abuses there. And then in chapters 12 through 14, the issue of spiritual gifts and corporate worship. So these are the second major issues that Paul addresses. So 
you know, in, in, the, in the first slide, we saw divisions of community, Paul's apostleship, the case of incest, litigation, sexual immorality. Uh, here we see uh, sex and marriage, food, sacrifice to idols, head coverings, the Lord's table, spiritual gifts, worship. So, you know, you have 11 plus issues that Paul's dealing with one right after the other. And we'll talk about why Paul deals with so many issues in this letter in just a moment, because there's a specific reason, you know, that 1 Corinthians is a unique book because he deals with these issues, which he doesn't deal with in other books. And there's some issues in other books or other letters he doesn't deal with in this letter. So chapter 7 through 14 are the response to the Corinthians letter to him. And then the last uh, two chapters, 15 and 16, these are the concluding matters. Um, in chapter 15, Paul talks about the resurrection as he appeals to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's an interesting chapter there based on Christ's resurrection. And then chapter 16, he talks about the collection that he is going to collect and deals with some personal requests and personal matters. He concludes chapter 16 with some um, final greetings. So that we have there is kind of the outline chapter by chapter of this book. And chapter by chapter really deals with issue by issue. Uh, and that's why this book is so uh, interesting because you get a glimpse into what life was like in this church in Corinth. So most of these issues are in direct response to the behavior that is being embraced by some of the believers in Corinth. In each case, Paul is correcting them, uh, not just informing them about things that they do not yet know. Uh, he begins with the matters reported to him, one through six, chapters 1 through 6. Then the beginning of 7, 1, he takes up the issues of their letter, very likely in order that they occur. He puts the issue of the resurrection at the end. That's Paul's big theological chapter uh, because it probably reflects their view of spirituality. And he concludes with more practical matters in chapter, 15, in chapter 16. So there you can kind of, we can kind of get a bird's eye glimpse of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now let's go into um, some of the specific advice for reading 1 Corinthians. And here's where we're going to talk a little bit more about life in the city and life in the church. So we see in our section on specific advice for reading 1 Corinthians. To read 1 Corinthians well, we have to have some understanding of the city that the Corinthian believers lived in. After lying dormant, uh, Corinth, that area in Corinth was a very thriving area. And then in a rebellion against Rome, it was utterly destroyed. So after lying dormant for nearly a hundred years, Corinth was refounded by Julius Caesar around 44 BC as part of a Roman colony. Uh, because of its strategic location, and as we We'll just go back here to, to our map. I was hoping it would let me blow it up some, but it won't. But as you can see, it's right in between two bodies of water there. And it's kind of on the straight between two waters, which made it a very popular area with those that were uh, sailing ships and those that were doing fishing and those that were doing uh, commerce that had to do with maritime and the sea. So it became a very important part of the area, along with Athens on either side of this seaport uh, for commerce. 
So as you can imagine, it was estimated at this time that there was maybe up to 600,000 people in the city of Corinth at this time. And as you can imagine, that would be the place where, you know, all the people that were working in that area and working in the seas and catching fish, they would all gather in Corinth. And when they gathered in Corinth, of course, they were away from their homes, they were working, it could be for months at a time, uh, a lot of stuff followed them, a lot of not good behavior and habits followed them. So it became, as a strategic location, uh, a seaport and a center for commerce by the time Paul had gotten on the scene. It was the largest city in this area. By ancient standards, it was a relatively new city because it had been rebuilt, but it had, and it had quickly become a cosmopolitan city for it attracted people from all over the empire, like I said, up to 600,000 people in Paul's day. It was also a very religious city as well, uh, while at the same time morally decadent, morally corrupt. So those who had become believers from among this diverse population, both slave and free, Gentile and Jew, brought a lot of their prior baggage with them to the Christian faith. And here's what's so interesting to me about this city and how Paul has to deal with this church in this letter. Again, this is not Paul the theologian. This is Paul the pastor. And we see those two roles being played by Paul in many different areas. The majority of the book of Romans was Paul the theologian. Paul eloquently laying out the gospel and the work of the cross and the work of the Spirit and what it means to be justified by faith. And he's going back to the Old Testament and he's bringing out all these Old Testament verses, you know, and he's exegeting the Old Testament scripture. And he, he is Paul the theologian. But then there's times he has to be Paul the pastor. And he has to deal with the things that were going on in the church and just couldn't let a free-for-all happen in the church. He had to bring the people into alignment with now who they were in Christ and what has happened to them once they came out of the world of sin that was all around them. So the city was rich. The city was very diverse. People from all over the place came to Corinth. It was a very philosophical city. They, were, they prided themselves in human wisdom. Um, it was a city that was very religious. There was no less than 26 temples to other deities in the city of Corinth. They were very sinful. As you can imagine, there was sin of all types. Um, one writer says, I don't know if he mentioned this book, but uh, he mentions, says, it was no more sinful than any other Greek city there was just much more opportunity because it was a much more larger city and there was a whole lot more people there to be sinful with in the city. So it was a very sinful city and there was much opportunity for people to sin. And they were a very prideful city. So you have a city that was rich, diverse, philosophical, religious, sinful, and prideful. And that was the makeup of the city. But the issue with the church was the people from the city came to faith in Jesus and came into the church and brought a lot of the baggage with them into the church. So in many ways, the church mirrored the city with their problems. You know, every church has problems. And you know why every church has problems? Because every church is made up of what? 
people. Very good. And people have problems. And just like people bring their problems to work, uh, people bring their problems to church. So every church has problems. But depending on you know, who those people are and where those people come from and what their background is and how long they've been saved and Christians, the problems are different. So let me just give you, for instance, the book of James. James chapter 2. James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And by the time James writes his letter, the church has probably been around for maybe 20 plus years. Well, when you have people that were, you know, first come into the saving knowledge of Jesus and they're on fire and they're serving the Lord, um, that's wonderful. But then year after year progresses and something happens, that's just kind of a natural part of, of our lives and we have to guard against it. But it can happen is that we seem to get into this religious routine and ritual where faith now, when before it was active and moving, now it's kind of just like lip service to God. And we kind of go through the motions and our faith now fails in how it should work. So that is why James in his church, he looks at the people and, and he says, you know, you have faith but you don't have works. You walk by people who are hungry and people that have need and you don't show compassion and you don't show love and you show favoritism to people that are coming in that are wealthy to your congregation. And he says, you have faith, you say you have faith, but by your works you have no love and you have no compassion and we see not many good works from you because there are people that's faith had grown stale. So in a congregation that have been around for a long time, we see the issues that James deals with there. When you have a church like Corinth, who was a very young in the faith church, a church that had just been established, people that had just received Jesus, they had heard Paul preaching, they had received Jesus, they come into the church, the church is still going to have problems, just like James with an established church in Jerusalem had problems. The church in Corinth was going to have problems, but their problems would look much different because you're dealing with young, immature Christians who had been received Christ, but yet how many of you know that when we receive Christ, we all of our problems aren't fixed in that moment. All of our humanity, all of our flesh isn't done away with in that moment. All of our thinking and some of our old habits aren't all erased in that moment. We are justified by our faith, but then our life, the more we walk with God, the more we grow in our faith, the more we walk in the Holy Spirit, the more our, our eyes are illuminated to the truth of the gospel, we become progressively more and more sanctified. We, become, we, we grow progressively more and more. And there are some things that we, as, even as young Christians, we dealt with in our personal lives when we got saved and years after, but yet through time, things begin to change and our lives begin to change. So Paul doesn't really judge them, judge their salvation on the basis of their behavior but he's bringing along their salvation, or I mean their sanctification. So he doesn't really judge their behavior. So when he has those that are committing sexual sins, he doesn't say, y'all aren't really Christians, you heathens. He says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't be doing these things. So he's correcting them, but he's also instructing them so that their behavior, they can grow in their faith and they can grow in their behavior. So that's why when you had a pagan city, a city that was filled with sexual morality and idols and pride and, and, and human wisdom, when those people came into the church, they brought a lot of that 
with them because they were still a young church. So in many ways, the church mirrored a city, which I would say that is a great thing. If a pastor is dealing with those type of issues, it means that people are coming in from the world outside and getting saved. And they're coming to church. Yes, there's stuff you have to deal with, just like there's stuff in every church that you have to deal with. And Paul had to deal with stuff in every letter that he wrote to. But yet you see that the gospel was going forth out into the world, and people were responding to that. And they were coming into the church. And yes, they were bringing their baggage with them, but that's a good thing because it shows that you were reaching the world around you for Jesus. Now you just have to disciple them. Now you have to teach them. Now you have to correct them. Now you have to encourage them so that they can grow in their faith and then have other problems (laughs) that come along with that. So the people had permitted the sins of the city to come into the church, which is not a good thing, but it is a good thing because people from the city are coming into the church. Um, So they needed to be reminded and corrected on some issues that were causing harm. And again, I love how Paul does this because he does this. And there are some very severe issues that he deals with in very severe ways. But then there are other issues. And most of the time, Paul appeals to their behavior on the basis of what has happened to them in Christ. You know, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't be doing these type of things. And many of the things he's probably taught them before, but just like all of us, needs to be reminded. In fact, over 10 times he uses the phrase, you know, do you not know? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know this? And he's just reminding them of their identity in Christ so that their behavior can begin to match their justification. So the things that he's dealing with are kind of normal for a church that is so young in the faith that needs discipleship. But Paul does have to deal with it. So in essence, Paul is dealing with a church that is spiritually immature, a church that is still very carnal. They still think in their old ways. They still have a lot of their old habits that they haven't gotten over yet. So a church that's spiritually immature a church that is very carnal, and a church that is very divided by some of its leaders. So, in other words, Paul's got a mess he's trying to clean up. And he's trying to do it from afar, uh, but he has a mess that he is trying to clean up. So that's a little bit about the city and a little bit about the church. Um, The next we see is Paul's opposition, uh, which comes out of those divisions. It's important as you read 1 Corinthians to be aware that the opposition to Paul in this letter was not from the outside, like it was, say, in Galatians, but it was from within the church itself. A careful reading suggests that he and they were odds on every issue, and they have either misunderstood or deliberately misinterpreted the earlier letter of what he said and have written uh, to tell him what they think is right and wrong in their eyes. And the conduct of some of them, which they have not written about, is so grotesquely unchristian that Paul is horrified that a Christian community could have brought itself to believe as they do. So there was a lot of opposition, and we'll see all of that in the first. Then the issue of being spiritual. Uh, The primary place where he and they are at odds is over the question of really being spiritual. And this is their spiritual immaturity. So Paul deals a lot of 
a lot of time in chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14 dealing with uh, spiritual gifts and showing them that spiritual gifts are not to be abused, for they were abusing their spiritual gifts. Um, Very likely their spirituality uh, lends itself to a low view of bodily activities because they came out of other religions. They probably had different views of their bodies, their relationships, and Paul was trying to bring them into a Christian worldview, not so much in a worldview of the pagan, you know, Roman world around them. So his um, basic response to all this is to remind them that the gospel has a crucified Messiah risen from the dead at his very heart, and that is the theological issue that he appeals to, this issue of the resurrection based on Christ's resurrection. Another advice for reading 1 Corinthians is Paul's emotion. Paul's emotion. Paul sees the gospel at stake, especially because of the Corinthians' rejection of the centrality of the cross in the Christian life. Therefore, because the gospel is at stake, you see a range of Paul's emotions. This is what you see when you really pay attention to Paul's different letters. Uh, In Galatians, he's very angry. In Romans, he's very precise. In 1 Corinthians, he's kind of up and down depending on the subject that he's writing about. So what you find here, you find some of his emotions, you find confrontation. Uh, Chapter 4, chapter 9, chapter 14, there's the emotion of confrontation. Then there is appeal. He's appealing to them. Then he uses sarcasm. He even kind of mocks them a little bit in some of the ways that they think and some of the things that he's heard that that they have said. And he uses sarcasm. And he kind of turns the table on those who thinks that they are wise, but yet they are not as wise as they think they are. You know, and he even says, um, we have here uh, irony. You know, he, he talks about that no one in the name of wisdom would have chosen them of all people to be God's people. You know, that's kind of a backhanded compliment. You know, you're the people of God, but nobody would have chosen you uh, to be the people of God. Only God would have chosen you uh, to be the people of God. So, you know, he he plays around a little bit in there. Uh, Eloquence, chapter 13. Of course, that's the love chapter. In the first verses, Paul writes a marvelous section there in chapter 13 that's very eloquent. Uh, Rhapsody, when he's talking about uh, you know, the end of death and the end of the law and how, and how, you know, life has overtaken death and, you know, we reign with Christ and he's caught up in that moment there. Then, but there is, even in the midst of his moments of rhapsody and eloquence, there is very little joy or very little pleasure to be found in his current relationship with the church. And then it's got the note down here that 2 Corinthians tells us that it gets worse before it gets better. Things do get better uh, as we come to 2 Corinthians, which is a whole different type of letter than 1 Corinthians. But as we get into this, and we're going to try to skim over each and every one, when we come back next week, we're going to try to skim over each and every one of these uh, issues that he's dealing with and just kind of tell you what was going on, what was the issue, and then what, what was Paul's remedy about that? Um, because we're going to try to cover all of this in a couple of weeks, um, you know, you could get bogged down for weeks in every chapter. 
You know, especially when you get in chapters about spiritual gifts, that's a favorite for people in church to talk about spiritual gifts. In chapter 15, the, the resurrection, that, that, that's been a controversial passage of Scripture through the years. But there's a lot of great stuff in here, and there's a lot of good theological stuff. But, you know, we're going to address, and we're going to go through chapter by chapter and look at each one of these issues that Paul is dealing with. And then look and see how the world that we live in. In fact, it was also kind of speculated that Paul wrote Romans from Corinth. And if you remember the first chapter of Romans, Paul looks out into the world and sees all its sin and its idolatry and its corruption and all of that. Paul could have literally been looking out his window at Corinth and seeing this evil, wicked city with its all types of immorality and, and you know, faulty human wisdom and then writing to the Romans. You know, this is what life looks like without God. And, and he says, those living out in the world find themselves in, hopeless, in a hopeless, sinful state because of that. So Paul could have easily, in Romans 1, been looking out his own window in Corinth and seeing this city, but now he's dealing with these issues that have come into the church. So as we look out at our world around us, we see that there's nothing new under the sun. And we see that the same sins that were wrapped up in, in Corinth back in you know, 52 and 53, 54 AD are the same sins that we see out of our window today. So we'll see what Paul's word to them was in their day and see how it relates to what Paul's words, which is God's words to us today for our world is in. So we'll jump on that journey on the first part of 1 Corinthians next week.